appreciate Brother Shod and Missoni and Harvest Baptist Church for allowing us to be here today, and I thank the young people for their their good instrumentalists and uh, the great songs that we've already enjoyed today, and I hope we might be a blessing to you. I don't want to go too long today. Some moderators where I go, they ask me if uh, I need a watch or a calendar, but uh, I hope today that uh, maybe we don't need a, a calendar. Fellow told me one time, he said, you could do a lot for your preaching if you would add the cooking technique. And I said, what's that? He said, more shortening. Well, anyway, <laughs> I, I told my son, I said, a good sermon ought to be short and a bad one ought to be shorter. So today I hope that we can kind of stay within those parameters. I'm glad for Shirlene, my wife, to be with me today. I'd like for her to go with me when she can. We have been married 54 years. Uh, she's from the volunteer state of Tennessee. And I don't know if anybody's from that area or not. One lady here is. Uh, my folks were from Kentucky, right down on the same border. Actually, the adjacent uh, counties just go across the state line. And I've always thought it's hard to tell a difference between Tennessee and Kentucky. Now, Tennessee is a little bit slower down. It's a lower down place, and uh, things are slower down there. It takes an hour and a half down there to watch 60 minutes, but they uh, it's just slow. I don't know what it is. They, uh, you know, they get the Saturday night Grand Ole Opry there on Sunday afternoon, but uh, I'm glad to be here today. Glad to be feeling good. I hope you are. I uh, Somebody not long ago, I asked them, I said, do you think I could be feeling good as good as I look, and they, they said, why don't we just go ahead and call 911? But anyway, I, I'm kind of reminded uh, uh, of the fellow that he was talking to his teenagers, and he said, teenagers? He said, if you're tired of being hassled by unreasonable parents, now is the time for action. Leave home and pay your own way. Well, you still know everything. <laughs> but I'm not jumping on young people. I love young people. Young people keep you vibrant. I like to stay around young people. You know, they, I get around people my age, and uh, I don't know. I'm to the point where the insurance company, they just give me half a calendar. And uh, usually January through June, and then they, if I'm still around, it's July through December. But if you have your Bibles today, turn to the book of Hebrews. I don't want to preach a second message that I have used, but I don't think I've used this one here. And uh, I've got other messages, but this is the one that I feel the Lord would have me to read and use. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews is a very, in many respects, kind of a difficult book. But the apostle, under divine inspiration, wrote this. Would you stand as we read a couple of verses today? Hebrews 1, 2, and part of verse 3. 
The Bible says, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense or reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the word of God. Now may we be at our best for you, in Jesus' name, and amen. I found out many things as you go along in life. General William Booth said the chief danger that confronts the coming century will be salvation without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, Salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. I believe today that there are certain things in the message that I want to give you today by the help of the Lord of how shall we escape. May I share with you, first of all, just a few illustrations. I recall several years ago down in the Commonwealth state of Kentucky, you know, Kentucky was the 15th state. There are 120 counties in that state. It became a state in 1792. But Floyd Collins was down there cave exploring in the Mammoth Cave. Some of you may have been there. I think they called it spelunking. And he got trapped in there and he couldn't get out. His mother later put up a memorial for him. I recall that how that in the very first months of 1942, Franklin D. Roosevelt, knowing that he could not afford to lose General MacArthur, he ordered him out of the Philippines because he knew that his leadership qualities could not be taken or put in captivity by the Japanese. And in the darkness of the night, MacArthur, his son Arthur, and his wife Jean, they were taken by a small craft. They traveled hundreds of miles. They went for more than a day and a night to safety. But for General Wainwright, he was left to face the Bataan Death March and Corregidor. For him, there was no escape. I recall about a man who evidently was very affluent and he didn't take his cell phone with him and he and his wife got on their elevator and they were discovered a few days later. They found to their dismay there was no escape. I recall reading about the youngest governor that West Virginia ever had. He was only 35 years of age when he became governor in 19. And 53. And this young governor got around where there was an awful lot of alcohol and socializing and so on. The story moves forward that he found for him there was no escape. He ended up driving a cab on the streets of Chicago. Didn't live very much longer after that. For him there was no escape. I recall that in 1994, President Ronald Wilson Reagan 
went before the national media and he said, I'm facing a situation from which there is no escape. And he said, I regret it for my wife, Nancy, and for all those that will no doubt take care of me. Here, one of the greatest communicators, the man that had told Gorbachev, tear down that wall, Mr. Gorbachev, is now going to soon be reduced to just wearing his pajamas, watching the kids at play. And when George Schultz came to visit him, he asked Miss Nancy, said, who was that man? The 40th president is now a prisoner of his mind. I recall one other incident where that on September the 10th, a man told his wife, 2001, he said, I can stay over, Lisa, and I can catch an early morning flight out to San Francisco, and I'll just be home with you and the kids tonight. He left very early to catch his flight out of Boston. But it wasn't long until he got on his cell phone, and he said, uh, Lisa, he said, we're in a real mess. This plane is flying very erratically. And she said, oh, Todd, do you realize that the World Trade Centers have been hit? He said, well, the pilot, I think, is dead here. They've moved everybody out of first-class seating, and a man with a bomb strapped around him, or so he says, will bring this plane down if we don't do what he says. He soon realized that there would probably be no escape. He didn't know where the plane was going, but he got on the phone to a lady by the name of Lisa Jefferson, and he said, would you pray with me the 23rd Psalms? And she led him in the prayer. His last words were, let's roll. For Todd Beamer, there was no escape. There are certain things that we cannot escape from. First of all, we cannot escape from our own choice making. Choosing not to choose is still choosing. We cannot escape the responsibilities of our choices. You have the right to make your choices, but you're not able to choose the consequences. Sometimes in the choice of our friends, it could be a very bad negative situation. The Bible, the Bible said, but Absalom, he had a friend. Wrong friends can take you down the wrong path. I know people, and so do you, that later said, hey, I, I made a bad decision, maybe in my marriage or whatever, and now I'm faced with the consequences of that. But I want to hone in today on one thing that I don't know that we're going to be able to escape. And that is, there is an attack upon the Christ of the Bible like I've never seen before. Jesus Christ is more than just a figurehead. He's just some, he's something, someone, excuse me, that's, that should have the highest accolades if in my vocabulary, if the superlatives would come like water cascading over a waterfall, I would not be able to give him the nomenclature that he so deserves. 
He is 100% man. He's 100% God. He was a man in the fact that he could eat, but he was God in the fact that he could feed 5,000. He was man in the fact that he could sleep, but he was God in the fact that he would come out of that sleep and rebuke the wind. He was man in the fact that he would die, but God in the fact that he would rise victorious over death and the grave. Somebody should say hallelujah. There are certain, certain things that we're not going to be able to escape. First of all, secondly, I don't think we're going to be able to escape the attack upon our culture. It seems to me like this. Brother Lester Roloff said this, and Brother Lester Roloff, a great man of God, could speak very direct. Here's what he said. He said, my work is going to follow after me and yours is going to follow after you. Dear friend, I'm going to have about the same kind of works that follow me, follow after me, that I had with me while I live. There's no other way, whether you like it or don't like it, if you live rotten, you're going to have some rotten works follow you. Now, you might say, well, I shouldn't use that. But the great British preacher George Whitfield said, it's a poor sermon that neither makes the hearer nor the preacher upset with himself. There was a day and time when we spoke truth and we just declared it. Truth becomes hate to those who hate the truth. When Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? He didn't know, but he was looking at the very embodiment, the very personification, the very composite of truth and all that truth is. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We've got a culture today that I'm afraid has really gotten out of hand. I mean, I believe you can just say it however you want to, this culture today is a very bad culture from what I knew growing up. Would you allow me to digress just a little bit? I think I might have told you this last year down here. I came from a poor family. We were Appalachian people. I was born in Indiana, but my mother and dad, they were older. My dad's first wife had died. My mother's first husband had died. And I was born to their marriage. I have no full brothers nor sisters. My dad was born in 1891. He was 51 when I was born. So I grew up in a different culture. I grew up, my mother didn't know parts of speech. She didn't know anything about subject-verb agreement. She didn't know about predicates or dangling participles. She didn't know about paragraph construction. She didn't know what a thesaurus was. She didn't study physiology or any of those words. She didn't know the king's English, but she said when she got saved, she knew the king. You see, we grew up in a different time. I mean, when we were growing up, grass was something we mowed. I mean, Coke was something we drank. 
age were the people that worked in the principal's office. And coming out of the closet meant we'd been playing hide and go seek. Now we live in a very different culture. It seems like we've devalued life. We kill millions of babies, 50-some million since the infamous Roe versus Wade in 1973. And I will say this, I'm glad that our president is trying at least to cut the funding for Planned Parenthood. I admire him for that, among other things. I'm glad that he has the audacity to say we're moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Are you glad for that? I'm glad that we got somebody doesn't always hold his finger in the air to see what the latest poll numbers are. Mark Twain said in the beginning of a change, the patriot is a brave and scarce man, often hated and scorned. But when his cause succeeds, however, the timid join him, for then it costs nothing to be a patriot. Wouldn't you like to be a patriot? I think one of the worst things in the world, Brother Marty, and I love Brother Marty, one of the worst things in the world, I would never want it to happen to me, is to go through life and just be a nobody. It'd be better for everybody on your block to not like you and you stand for something than to always cave in and stand for nothing. The time is here when we will either stand or we'll give a quiet acquiescence to what's going on about us. Sometimes our silence or refusing to speak can be deafening. You see, our culture's all messed up when we can glorify cop killing. And I want to repeat this because some of you weren't here. Miss Shirley Nye, the Santa Fe school killing, the pastor of the church in Mission, Texas, where I preached, Brother John Tisdale, that was his sister-in-law or one of them that got killed yesterday. His brother's also a preacher, bad health. Now they've had to tell him no doubt that his wife was killed by somebody that's like a son of Belial or whatever. And you say, what is the remedy for it? I'm going to tell you something today and don't get mad at me. If you get mad at me, I'll preach a little bit longer. <laughs> Our problems is that we don't want to live according to the word of God. We want to live in rebellion. We want to do our own thing. We want to live according to a moral code of moral relativism and secular humanism that if it feels good, do it. My dad had an old-fashioned belief. He thought folks ought to get married and then live together. That's why that wedding in, in London didn't impress me too much. Oh, we all get caught up in the pomp and circumstance. Forty-some million dollars for that. I don't know who paid for it. Probably the government. They do that a lot over in there. Of course, our government does the same kind of things. You could put our federal government in charge of the Sahara Desert, and within a few weeks, there'd be a shortage of sand.
the old boy said he went to, up to Washington. A guy jumped up wearing a ski mask behind the hedge, told him, said, give me your money. He said, young man, I'll have you to know I'm a United States congressman. He said, okay, give me my money. <laughs> there is a culture war going on. It's against the family. The only walls that our previous president wanted to tear down were the walls in the bathroom. I want to come back to Harvest Baptist Church sometime. Preaching like this doesn't make you popular everywhere I go, but I'm too near home to let up now. I know a preacher that told the truth. They sent him the Nero, the chopping block. Lost his head. But he, but he said, I know what awaits me. He told him, he said, for this night there stood by me the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. Paul knew where his confidence was, didn't he? He said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And one day I'll be there. I'm kind of looking forward to getting that son that we lost when he's only six years old and grabbing, grabbing him and putting him to our chest and running down the streets of gold. And I'll tell you right now, I'll be taking a spell while I'm doing it. I know what awaits me. Do you? Let me get back here. We can't escape from this culture here today. The arts, the literature, the music. Here we have people on national television. I don't even know what's happened to propriety. Decorum. Are those pretty good words? We were to have exemplary deportment according to the sign we got at our church. It meant we were to act like somebody. We were to look like somebody. I get on a lot of planes anymore and I think I'm there by freak of the week. <laughs> Scary looking people. You hope the federal marshal's sitting next to you. You'd sit in his lap if you knew who he was. <laughs> a friend of mine said he used to work with a ventriloquist act. I said, why did you stop? He said, I got too big to sit in his lap. <laughs> they say, you know, if there's ever a fight at the circus, just go for the juggler. <laughs> Thank you, brother. There is a cultural war that we're in. How do we escape from it? When we have no absolutes. When everything is how you decide about it. They said that, uh, the Bible said there came a time when every man did what was right in his own eyes. Just do what you feel like doing. How long will it be? How much farther can we go down? Somebody said, well, a lady told me the other day at one of the stores, said, well, we started with casual Friday. And I said, yeah, it ended up with casual Thursday, then Wednesday and Tuesday and Monday. And now let me get off that subject. There is an attack upon not only the Christ 
and the culture, there's an attack upon the church today. A lot of folks don't want to go to a church where the Bible is preached as it is to folks as they are. They'd rather go to a place where there's smoke and strobe lights and where you can sway back and forth, repeat something over about 24 times. Have we gotten to the place? My good friend, Brother Steve Wagers in Campbellsville, Kentucky, told me, he said, if the Holy Spirit showed up in a lot of churches, they'd give him a visitor card. Is that where we are across the land and the country? Do you feel that little right down on the inside? I'm going to ask you a personal question. You don't have to answer out right now. If I ask you a question, if I say, are you saved? Is there something on the inside that says yes? Did it? Now, if you asked me, what would you think of me if you said, is your name Phipps? And I'd say, well, let me get my driver's license here. I believe that is what it says here. No, there's something down on me. The Bible said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 7, he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of the Lord Jesus. I'm not going to heaven because somebody has seen my face on a television or heard my voice on a radio. I'm going by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. My faith in him and him alone. Somebody say hallelujah. Amen, that's how I'm going. Worthy is the king, amen. These young people getting excited. I can see it over here. Well, they'll be shouting before this meeting's over. <laughs> now, I'm going to talk to Christians just for a moment. There's one place you cannot escape. That's the judgment seat of Christ. Dr. Adrian Rogers, they asked him one time, they said, what does God want for my life? Dr. Rogers said it like this, what God wants for my life is what I want for my life if I were smart enough to want it. Do you ever, is it just me? I, I'm honest about this. Sometimes I honestly feel like I don't know hardly anything. I told my wife not long ago, I said, honey, I'm a slow learner. She agreed with it. <laughs> Do you ever feel like that you just don't know very much? Boy, there's a lot to know in it. This holy Bible that's under attack. You'll be surprised at the people across the land and the country, they don't even know what Bible they want to use. We've only got a hundred to select from. You could throw in the Saturday Evening Post or the Wall Street Journal if you wanted to. I'd make a hundred and two. What Bible are we going to stay on? Is there one that's infallible, inerrant, inspired, preserved in heaven that God himself wrote? They asked Dr. Spurgeon that question. And Spurgeon said, oh, pure Bible. Unalloyed treasure. He said, charge God with error, if you please. Tell him his word is not what it ought to be. Why? God wrote it. But it's good stuff, isn't it? You like the precious King James Bible? Somebody say amen. amen. Somebody said, well, I need a modern translation. 
One of the best examples I've ever thought about, I taught a little English when I was first teaching. You can tell I taught very little. <laughs> but I often think of some of the plays of Shakespeare. You don't believe it or not, I like some poetry. I like different kinds of music. I like the music you all provided today on those instruments. About the only thing I could ever play was the radio. <laughs> but you know what? What if I went to an English teacher here locally and I said to that English teacher, Miss English teacher, Shakespeare's too difficult. In Julius Caesar, where Cassius the conspirator looks at Brutus the nobleman and says, Methinkest thou doest protest too much. Just put it in modern day idioms and say, Lighten up, dude. She'd say, do you like wearing suits with no sleeves? Do you like the kind that fold behind your back? She'd say, you are nuts. This is Shakespeare. I want to tell you there's one greater than Shakespeare. There's one whose word is settled forever in heaven. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. Amen. I'm glad for that, aren't you? The word took on, Brother Parvor, human form, didn't it? He is that manna from heaven there in the, there in the ark of the covenant where you had the, 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 the tables of stone. That was God's word. That brought judgment. But you also saw in there the manna. That's Christ, the living bread sent down from heaven. But you also saw Aaron's uh, uh, bud there, that, uh, that, uh, uh, that Aaron's rod that budded. That's a typification that Christ is the resurrection and the life. And on one glorious morning, he'll come again in the clouds to receive us. Boy, I feel like preaching today. Could we go another hour? Now, let me ask you a question. Did you know that we're going to the judgment seat? Did you know that tears are not wiped away until after the judgment seat? I've thought a lot about it. Do we go empty-handed? What do we have to offer him? Brother Marty, I love this guy. I'm going to give you an example. Brother Marty and Brother Parvor can take my little messages and put bones on, uh, meat on these bones. I'm going to give you an example. I want you all to hear it. You've never heard it before. Somebody said, what do you mean by the crowns? Here it is. You all to listen. Christ on the cross wore a crown of misery. Christ now is wearing the crown of majesty because he's interceding. How will he wear many crowns? Here's my little scenario. Are you ready? You might ought to hold somebody's hand here because it's got to get heavy right now. <laughs> will the time be announced in the heavens of the heavens? All heaven come to attention. The Lord Jesus Christ is now wearing the crown of Brother Parvar. 
heaven come to our attention. The crown that's now on the place of our blessed Redeemer is the crown of Brother Marty Shot. The crown that he's wearing now is the crown of Brother Lester Roloff, Mays Jackson, Billy Kelly, Dr. Spurgeon. Are you with me? I don't believe it means a thousand crowns are out here somewhere. I'm talking about it's going to be your crown. Would you want to go empty-handed? My friend here just got married. Said he'd really put his foot down. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> They're in love, I can tell, I can tell. But let me share something with you. If we send up nothing, what do we have? I remember one time at a wedding reception where in the Bible one came that didn't have a wedding garment on. And I got to thinking one time, I didn't know any better. I was silly. I was unlearned. I was untaught. And I thought, oh my, he couldn't afford one. I am going to shout just a little bit. It came to me one day, praise God, that a robe had been furnished for him. All he had to do was put it on. I'm glad today that I've got a robe. How about you? I'll be able to wear it. I'll be able to say, Lord Jesus, it wasn't much, but this is what I have. I don't want to go empty-handed. What would you do if you have nothing to offer? Secondly, and here's one I'm going to soon be through. What about unsaved people? There's one place they can't escape. That's the great white throne judgment. The heavens and the earth are going to melt, move away from each other. I don't know what that means. I don't know if it means we're suspended out here. But I know he said this, Know you not the saints shall judge the angels. What about unsaved people? That's where death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire. That's for the unsaved right there. And I want to give you one. I always want to close on a positive note. Now here's one more that you cannot escape. And it's good. If you ladies and men decide to shout, I'll get right in here with you. You cannot escape the fact that God loves you. Does that, does that excite anybody? Somebody ought to say excited. Amen. Does it excite you just a little bit? The fact that there's not one thing I can do that makes God love me more. There's not one thing I can do that makes him love me less. You know why? God is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It wasn't his will that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Amen. Do you love him today? Yes. Do you really love him today? Yes. It's getting a little feeble on some of the parts. How long has it been since you told him you loved him? Huh? Have you told him today? I want you to stand with me.
how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Our Father in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for these that have come, these wonderful ladies here. This is the first time maybe some of them have done this, but Lord, they're trying to the best of their ability to give you praise. Lord, I want these men just to be expressive and tell you how much they love you today. Let them remind you today, God, that they're in love with you and they don't care what the devil thinks about it. They're here today to give you praise and worship you and say, Lord, I want to draw closer to you. Oh God, I know we can't escape if we don't start loving on you and turning back to you before it's too late. I pray for our leaders. I pray for our nation. I pray for those in authority. I pray for this church and its outreach. I pray for the pastor and the pastors and the staff people and, and all that are connected, those in leadership. I pray for Sunday school teachers and everybody. I pray, Lord, you'll just help us in Jesus' name. And I want you to turn and I want you to hug three or four necks and say, I love you in the Lord.